everybody, and welcome to our brand new podcast for the new year, leading up to probably what will be the height of this terrible year, 2018. This is The Road to Infinity. Every week we will be reviewing one of the Marvel movies in order of how they released, leading up to the release of the culmination of everything Marvel has done since Iron Man, and that's Infinity War. Oh man, so... Such a challenge, but a challenge that we really wanted to do, because this also helps us kind of dissect these movies and look at them in a big picture kind of way, because we've always reviewed these movies as themselves. And now we get to watch these movies in a row and dissect them in the grand scheme of things, from the first ever pulse sound from Iron Man's suit to the final blow that one of these superheroes inevitably will face in Infinity War. We will break down everything. We will go through various topics. Uh, we'll talk about the movie, of course, how much money it made, uh, and Marvel's very humbling, humbling beginnings uh, to their now massive empire. That, uh, and we'll go over our favorite scenes. We'll go over things that we, we would have done differently. We will also uh, go over how this actually connects. Each movie connects to the MCU and builds towards Infinity War because every movie has something that builds towards it. Uh, we'll also go over... Various things, like the end credits that it gave, the, the Stanley cameos, our rating on it, uh, as far as overall, compared to other movies in general, gold, silver, bronze rating. And then our we will rank them. At the very end of our show, we will rank this as far as all 18 movies. We will rank each movie uh, going in a row. That was the hardest part, getting that in order, especially pre-Black Friday, because I had to like make sure I had my first six or so before Black Panther came out. Like yeah. before that comes out, so I had to like get them in a row and then say, Okay, I know Black Panther won't top these, so hopefully I'm right. Um <laughs> But anyway, my name is Spencer. My name is Glenn. And we are here to do the first episode, which is of course where it started, because we're going in an order of how they released, not quotations chronological order because the end credit scene always actually places it directly on the timeline of how it releases and chronologically so there's not really like watching Guardians of the Galaxy 2 sure that's supposed to take place right after Guardians of the, Guardians of the Galaxy 1 kind of sort of but that end credit scene showing Groot as a teenager actually takes place right before Infinity War so the end credit scene always places it where it's supposed to be like with Winter, uh, with a uh, first Avenger, Captain America, uh, that end credit scene where he wakes up, that is placing it right before Avengers. So we're doing this on release because that is how you're supposed to watch it. That's how they released them. So obviously that's how they are intended to watch it. Um, you Word. wouldn't watch the prequels with all the obvious non-artistic foreshadowing uh, before you watch the original trilogy. You would watch them how they released because that's what they're trying to do. You know, Django is just a callback to Boba Fett. He never really mattered. Um, anyway, yep. not talking about Star Wars, not talking about the releases anymore. We're going to dive right in to Iron Man, which came out in 2008. The first shot by Marvel in the, hey, we have a big plan, but you know, obviously they didn't know how big it would become. Um, so this movie, oh man. So they, they, they took some chances. Uh, let's start with the, the big boss, the director, John Favreau. Before this came out, his big claim to fame directing was Elf, the Will Ferrell Christmas comedy. Yep. <laughs> now we know him as the man who made Jungle Book, 
amazing and how he's a man that's going to make Lion King great and he's also Happy Hogan in all the movies so now we see John Favreau a little bit differently but when this released in 2008 mind you this was scheduled to go up against the Dark Knight which had a lot of buzz about it because Heath Ledger's the Joker will that be good um is bringing the Joker back we haven't seen him since Jack Nicholson on screen and it was there was a lot of hype for the Dark Knight and it made a ton of money it like made double the money Iron Man did but um uh ultimately like there was a lot of risks involved with the casting as well with Iron Man so you had John Favreau who is the man who's chosen to direct this movie and then the writers this group of writers you had four people that wind up working on this screenplay so two of the men came from the children of men movie um do you remember that movie it was um uh the clive owen movie about the clive owen movie yeah but the kids couldn't be born anymore so you had two men from that script and then you had the man who, unfortunately, is probably most known for now, the Transformers The Last Night and the next Transformers movie, and the Punisher <laughs> Warzone movie. Like, his writing credits is not great. Um, and then also, uh, his partner came from that same kind of background of Punisher Warzone. So you had two pairs of writers working on this script over the course of it being made. Uh, you had John Favreau brought in to, to see over stuff. You had variations to the script being changed by Favreau and Downey Jr. himself. So you can obviously see where some things in the movie Downey Jr. kind of took over and John Favreau kind of took over. But the screenplay credits are going to go to those two sets of guys. Um, yeah, you know what I found interesting is when, when it was announced that Favreau was going to be the director, there were so many people that were like, oh, great, here we're going to – Vince Vaughn's going to pop up in this somewhere. You watch. <laughs> They're going to change something. All, all because Vince uh, – um, Favreau and uh, Vince Vaughn are, are, are best friends and everything else. And you know what? I, I You think about John Favreau and what comes to mind for me is Swingers and Made yep. and all those comedies that he's done. But then you step back and you realize what the man has accomplished with his uh, his independent film Chef, and then it oh, jumps yes. to Iron Man, and then you've got Jungle Book, and now he's going to be directing Jungle Book Two and The Lion King. I mean, you can't. The dude has got. He landed in Disney, and I'm glad Disney's going full tilt with John Favreau, and just like they're doing with uh, James Gunn. Uh, and the two brothers for Captain America. I mean, they've got a lineup of directors and writers that has far exceeded any expectation that I ever had for any of these Marvel movies. And it all started with John Favreau, and everybody thought he was going to fall flat. Yeah, well, not only that, he took a big, huge, real big insurance risk by casting Robert Downey Jr. At that time, Robert Downey Jr. was a washed-up, hey, he used to be great 15 years ago until he got on drugs real bad. Um Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark Iron Man, which at the time was, you had plenty of people saying tons of other names. And um, it was a real chance that someone like Tom Cruise would have wound up being Tony Stark. And now <laughs> you, we say it and we laugh, but that Robert Downey Jr. was not realistic back then. And no. their big star in the movie was Terrence Howard, who played Rhodey. Uh, I never have been a fan of Terrence Howard. I never, ever liked him. I don't think there's anything... I mean, I liked him in Hustle and Flow, and that was it. And that's kind of all he really did. And he came in there, big-ass head of his, you know, wanting to control the set, whatever. Um, 
but they also had a, they chose someone as their eventual villain that I thought was a great choice, and that's Jeff Bridges. Oh, Jeff Bridges! Is, I mean, you can't go wrong. It's the dude, man. The dude. But and the dude doesn't he, translate to a to a villain, though. I, like, I know that's what's great. so awesome about it. I mean, you'd eventually see him, and and it, like he he really would bust out. Like after Iron Man, he did a bunch of stuff. Uh, I mean, he did Crazy Heart, True Grit. Uh, the he did um, R.I.P.D. with sequel. with Ryan Reynolds. Um, yeah, he did the, the Kingsman sequel. Yeah, uh, he did tons of stuff. Uh, um, and the Tron sequel, but before that, he was doing like, all right, this year he'd do a couple movies. He did like Surf's Up, Stick It. Um, he did a few movies here and there, but he really didn't like. He really didn't click with fans again until Iron Man, and that was really awesome to see because he was such a good guy, kind of relatable dude before. Now he's this CEO mogul kind of monster warmonger. Ironmonger, as he called himself in the movie. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm kind of glad that Favreau took the risk that he did when they were doing the casting because your antagonist and your protagonist both are guys that, okay, do you really want to put money on RDJ uh, with all of his legal problems and all of his addictions that he's gone through? And do you really want to put all your chips on Jeff Bridges where, uh, you know, he had a really good run in the 80s uh, into the early nineties. And then he just kind of fell off. And then, you know, he made a big comeback with the big Lebowski. Um, but it was like, people thought that they had already hit their peak, uh, with both yeah. actors. Um, and you know, if you really, if you look at Robert Downey Jr.'s life and you look at Tony Stark from the comics and, uh, you really sat down and compare the two people, holy shit. It mirrors perfectly. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't think there's anybody else um, that's a more perfect cast for Iron Man than Robert Downey Jr. I, I agree now, and at the time, I really didn't know if I should agree because my favorite movie going into Iron Man of his was Chaplin. Oh, um, my sa- the safest pick I think for Iron Man when that was cast was Gwyn- Gwyneth Paltrow. I thought she's good. She's solid. She's funny. She's a good drama actor. Like I loved her in Shallow Hell. I also, I mean, I loved her in um, all a bunch of different things that she had done um, since the late '90s. I guess you'd say um, I loved her in, in tons of stuff. And I thought, okay, I mean, Pepper Potts is fine. I mean, it's a. I, I thought of Pepper Potts as kind of a throwaway kind of casting. Like, like it doesn't matter who you get. They're just the girlfriend or something like that. Uh, I didn't know much about comics going into it, so I was like, okay. Tony Stark's love interest. She was neat in Sky Captain the World Tomorrow. She was good in Shell Howl, Royal Tenenbaum. She's got a good history with like, um, with with comedy and and she's done decent stuff in in uh in drama. But we'll see. We'll see what it does. And she turned out to be solid for all the reasons I don't like her as a person. Hers an actress and hers Pepper Potts is great and I love it and I I kind of don't want to stop seeing Pepper Potts in there because it makes me feel like the Iron Man movies aren't dead they're just living without being on screen. Yeah. Um, and then of course we had uh, the only other one. Well, Paul Bettany is worth mentioning as Jarvis. Like here's a guy that if you haven't heard the story, Paul Bettany had just been told 
that he was done in Hollywood. Like, there was a producer for, like, the umpteenth movie in a row that was turning him down. And they said, listen, we just don't have anything for you. Because um, he had done Da Vinci Code, and that was, like, the last time for him. Like, that was almost like a character piece, like, playing, like, a horror villain. Like, it really wasn't going to be anything that opened up the door. And that's what producers were telling him. Hey, listen, we don't really have anything for you. Sorry. And everyone told him that. And then he was contemplating retiring from acting and going to do something else, finding another passion. And Favreau called him and said, hey, I want you to try out for this movie I'm doing. And uh, it worked out wonders. I mean, the damn guy, he's Vision now. I love the twist they gave to Vision in the movies, and I, I, I really like Paul Bettany, so I'm really glad that he was cast as Jarvis. Oh, I agree. I mean, there's, in my mind, there's nobody else that um, could be able to play a completely AI butler to just Tony Stark into, you know, several years later, here we see Jarvis in the flesh, and, and this is how Marvel unveils this version of the vision and I great casting, great acting. I mean, I'm so glad Bettany decided not to retire and I'm so glad that Favreau made that call to get him to come in. I mean, because that, you know, after this, like you said, before, before Iron Man, I mean, he had the Da Vinci code, he had firewall, he did a beautiful mind and a night's tale. I mean, it was, he did a lot of, uh, yeah, yeah. He was uh, best friends with, uh, uh, Heath Ledger's character. Yeah, Um, Yeah. I remember that now. Uh, and him and Robert Downey Jr. had worked together before. They were in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Son of a bitch. That's right. So, so yeah, I mean, so, you know, you got all this stuff. And then after he did this, we get movies like the horror movie Legion. And then we got Priest, the vampire movie. Yep. Um, and so, so many other things fell into his lap um, that are, you know, some people like, well, you know, that's just a stupid horror movie or, oh, that's just another vampire flick. Go back and watch him. This, you know, you, you might be turned off by some of the story or the effects, but Paul Bettany's acting is, is spot on. And now we've, he's going to be in the Han Solo movie. I mean, true. This, this really catapulted him back into the stratosphere that he never really got to enter in the first place. Exactly. Thank you, John Favreau. Thank you. And uh, so, and and of course, we already mentioned John Favreau played Happy Hogan, and he was great. I, I loved him as Happy Hogan. Um, he had to lose. It's probably better for him too because he had to lose weight to get on screen. So that was a little motivator for him as well. But the one I really want to bring up is he made a choice, and there was a, a guiding light that was going to be throughout the whole wave one, phase one, whatever, and that was Clark Gregg. At the time, he was on a show, uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus' show, uh, The New Adventures of Old Christine. He starred on that with her, and he was a comedy actor. And he didn't have a whole lot of notoriety. He was on that show, but that was about it at the time. And they chose him to play Agent Coulson, who, if I'm I'm correct, Agent Coulson's a brand new creation for the movies, right? Yep. And they created him so that he could be that guiding light to be in all the movies, but not piss any fanboys off, I'm sure. To be like, what are they doing with this character? It's like, well, they do what they want because they created them. Um, and Clark Gregg, since then, of course, he went through all of Phase 1. He died in Avengers. That was the culmination of Phase 1. And he sacrificed himself and um, fought Loki. And uh, he wound up being revitalized by Nick Fury and Smother- Smolders. And then you get Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the TV show, which I love. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is probably my... 
it's it's tied for my favorite show on TV right now, and that was that's all Agent Coulson. He carries that show. Like they have a lot of they have a great cast now, but that show really relied on just Agent Coulson for a long time, and uh, and and Clark Gregg was a great choice. He is a great long term choice because he's been the anchor of Marvel's DC presence since he's been Agent Coulson. Yep. Uh, so. Just speaking about the cast alone, uh, that's that's where we're at. The cast, that's how we feel about the cast, um, and that's the directors and the writers. Now let's look at a couple of numbers on this one because uh, they started out very humble with their budgets. Uh, Iron Man one, a budget of 140 million, it made almost 600 million. That's a big get for them. Now you think about it now. If any superhero movie made 600 million dollars, they'd say, "Well, what did we do wrong?" But this was very much a story of, well, what the hell did we do right? Yeah. Um, and this Iron Man one, the one from 2008, still sits at 94% tomato meter and 91% audience score. That includes trolls and everything, because that's over a million votes to make it 91%. And that's almost 300 reviews counted to make it 94%. <laughs> fresh and that's that's great that it still sits there because trolls can always go into the audience score and do what they want to as we saw with um with the last jedi yeah and now just to compare it iron man won 140 million dollar budget made almost 600 million dollars the they 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 bumped up again iron man 2 made 623 million worldwide Iron Man 3 made 1.2 billion worldwide. <laughs> so they 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 kept moving up. Now, really phase 1, the culmination to Avengers is really what changed the superhero movies. So we'll get to Avengers eventually and we'll talk about that more. I just wanted to compare the three Iron Man movies. Um because you look at big hit with Iron Man 1, Iron Man 2 actually made more than Iron Man 1 even though it wasn't as good and usually because Iron Man 2 wasn't as good it would doom 3 but 3 wound up making double what Iron Man 2 did and hit it in the stratosphere uh, so that was great but if we're just going to compare Iron Man 1 with the rest of Phase 1 let's do that real quick because the budget for Iron Man 1 was 140 and it made 585 million um, Incredible Hulk was next just a couple months later it made 150 million dollars I mean, it, it cost $150 million to make. It made $263 million worldwide. Not a huge hit, not as big as Iron Man, but they did, still didn't count it as an ultimate failure to scrap the character. Just kind of decided, let's never make one of those movies again. Um, <laughs> then in, in, it, you, you had Iron Man 2 came after that. Then in 2011, Thor came out. It made $449 million. They were like, great, Thor. No one knows who Thor is. That's great. This is really good. And then Captain America's The First Avenger, the final piece of Wave 1 before uh, Avengers came out. It came out. It had the same budget as Iron Man 1, $140 million. It made $370 million. And that is counting the fact that worldwide, our Captain America doesn't have that huge appeal because when he first came out, before Avengers really captivated everybody, you had tons of countries saying, look at this blatant American flag ban. I'm not going to see this movie. So he was yeah. really, really, really limited to what he could make in the country. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's just comparing him. Iron Man 1 was the most successful of Wave 1 um, budget to uh, actual gross revenue um, comparison. That's 
that's amazing. Like their first at bat, and they knocked it out of the park, and they just kept coming, and they just did not stop. They didn't give up. They knew their plan. They stuck to the plan, and it worked out. Obviously, we know that now. Avengers really worked out. Oh yeah. Um, and it, and it, it, it greatest comeback ever, Robert Downey Jr. Greatest comeback ever. Hands down. And I'm, you know, a lot of people will be like, oh yeah, yeah, this started all the comic book movies, and now it's forced down our throats. You know, not really, because if you look at these movies, you've got comedic uh, areas, you've got dramatic areas in these movies, you got horror popping up in these movies. So it's a, a it's a one stop shop, and it's going to a Marvel movie. I can I get the you know I I can see somebody actually be Tony Stark. Uh, not necessarily flying around in an armored suit, but you know, and <laughs> yeah. Captain America as well. I mean, is it there's that realistic, uh, realistic place that they that Marvel puts their their movies in where DC has kind of failed at doing, but they still have that fantastic. Uh, uh, trippy fantasy type uh, theme that goes throughout their whole, uh, but all of it is 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 okay. You got Coulson, who's a, who's a common thread throughout the whole thing, even through Guardians. I mean, if you think about it, uh, and hopefully we'll be able to see this in Infinity War, but without Coulson as the anchor. And without Iron Man as the anchor for the team, and Cap, the you know, uh, or another post for the team, if you take all that away, you're taking the humanity out of it, and that's yeah. what keeps them grounded. Hawkeye is the perfect example for that. Yep. Um, and just to compare it to the, uh, to the, I guess competition for it that came out that same summer, uh, the Dark Knight wound up making a billion bucks off of almost the same budget 185 million compared to 140 um so i mean that year really kicked off superhero movies the only difference was dc decided to not really capitalize but marvel actually had a plan in 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 motion so dc was really just happy with just making another batman trilogy whereas marvel they were the innovators and they were like you know what let's do this like our comics but let's do this on screen let's just keep this going Let's like let's not look at a point where we where we reboot our own properties. Let's make the properties that we have into movies, and let's keep a like a, a completely flowing story. And eventually, we'll get to the point where you need to have seen the movies to understand everything. And actually, a couple movies ago, Kevin Feige said you have to have seen the movies to understand what's going on because we're not going to hold anyone's hand anymore, and we're not going to make these super accessible because that that weakens our writing. And uh, I'm happy with that. I'm cool with that. And that's why we're doing this podcast, so that we can refresh ourselves. And so now we're going to go over our top three favorite scenes for Iron Man 2008, our first movie in the series. Glenn, what are your top three favorite scenes? Uh, my third favorite scene is the reveal of Iron Man's very first suit uh, mm-hmm. when he's in the cave with Jensen and he is um, they don't really talk about it but you can see the connection that, that Robert Downey Jr. has with Jensen and and uh, you know they both try to help each other out and Tony's building this suit when he's supposed to be building a missile for 
the terrorists. And the first time that you see this, you know, of course, we saw it in the trailer and we, with our, um, Black Sabbath's Iron Man pulsing in the background, which was phenomenal. But the first time that you get to see the rusty, nasty-looking Iron Man suit, the very first one, it's like, okay, Jack Kirby and Stan Lee's creation has now come to life. We now get to see what Iron Man and Marvel took. A, it's another gamble that Marvel took. Who in their right mind would put that much money into a movie about Iron Man? You got we, we got movies with Ant Man now, Guardians of the Galaxy. These without this movie, those wouldn't exist. And without Marvel taking that gamble, we never would have seen Tony Stark in a cave building his suit to get his ass out of that cave and back to civilization. Uh, my second favorite scene is hearing Jarvis for the first time and yep. knowing that, uh, okay, cool, this is Jarvis. When I when I first got into collecting comics back in the 80s, Jarvis was an actual person. He was the Alfred of the, uh, of the Avengers. Uh, here in more recent time, um, mid-90s, early 2000s and on, uh, Jarvis became an AI, and they first did that in one of the animated shows. I like it a little bit better because it gives more credibility to the education that Tony has as being able to build uh, all these gadgets and gizmos that he has. So to hear Jarvis and Tony have that banter that they have back and forth, to me, was really awesome. I really enjoyed that big reveal. My all-time favorite scene in this movie, my number one, is at the very end of the movie – and he's sitting down there, he's eating the hamburger, and then stands up and says, I am Iron Man. It's like a big screw you to everybody. And, you know, it's, sitting there watching it in theaters on opening day, he said that. I, I came out of my seat. I, I was uh, like, you, holy crap. Here we, we, in the comic books, they just got over Civil War. Yeah. And that was the big reveal. Uh, well, it was Spider-Man. Peter yes, Parker Spider-Man doing it. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, here Batman it is. Killed... Yeah. And here it is. We have Tony Stark in front of a group of people. And I, you know what? Screw it. I am Iron Man. Yeah. And then uh, cue the music. <laughs> I love that scene because it's, it's a uh, Coulson going over. Here's your cards. And, uh, he kept questioning things and Coulson's like, this is my first radio. And uh, they hinted right there at, hey, there's more superheroes than you. Don't worry about this. Um, or there's been other things that happened. Later on, we find out that, oh, yeah, S.H.I.E.L.D.'s dealt with Ant-Man and other superheroes before. So, yeah, they definitely know a thing or two about this. Um, but I think you got the two confused. Uh, the hamburger scene was when he decided to quit making weapons. The ending scene was he was in a suit and everything, and he was good to go. Oh, um, I thought he was eating a hamburger on the stage before he stood up. That that was when he decided to quit manufacturing weapons oh, right after okay. he got back from being saved. But uh, I, I love that scene, and that kind of ties into my three favorites. I'm gonna start from the from the from the last and go up like you did. My third favorite scene is Nick Fury's end cameo, and yes. uh, I know we have a segment on this show where we go over the end credits, uh, but I want to put this in there because I I. I most people never knew. Okay, they're building towards something. Like there was never a, a Justice League on screen before. There was never this team of superheroes on screen before that people all knew. And th- this is the first 
mention of it. It's it's Nick Fury, and he's talking about the Avenger Initiative, and he had the power to take down Jarvis. Like Jarvis isn't working. Like it was really kind of like a okay, are they setting up the next villain? Um, we'll go over the details of the filming of this scene later on when we go over the end credits. However. This is my third favorite scene, so I'm talking about it now. Uh, my second favorite scene is Iron Man's first flight. When uh, he's in the silver Mach 2 suit, I guess it's called. Yes. And he decides, you know what, let's take it for a test drive. And he goes out, and he's flying around, and then he go, goes high up into the sky, and he's freezing over. He starts free-falling. He turns the knobs, and, and the ice shatters away from his uh, suit, and he continues to fly. And then he lands home, and he just kind of crashes through the whole house, and later he uses that same hole to fly out of the house in the Mark III armor. But that sets up the final fight as well. It's a really neat callback in that final fight where him and Iron Monger, Obadiah Stane, uh, were fighting, going up and up and up into the sky. And then Iron Monger, uh, uh, Iron Man asks him, uh, how did you settle that freezing issue? And he's like, freezing issue. And he freezes and free falls down to the ground. And uh, I thought that was, that was neat. That was a good setup. So I really liked the first flight. But my number one scene, my number one favorite scene in Iron Man 1 was kind of our first introduction to the war profiteer, Tony Stark, where he's selling the Jericho missile to mm, the yeah. uh, to the military. And I just love it because that whole scene, from, from the moment where he starts talking about it, he gives a quote um, about uh, uh, the best weapon is the weapon you don't have to fire. I disagree. Uh, the best weapon is a weapon you only have to fire once. And boom, all the bombs go off. It pushes the dust. And then he goes and turns on a suitcase and has a drink. And he's like, uh, free one of these with every hundred million purchases or more. And it was just great. The whole scene was great. And that really sold me on Robert Downey Jr. being Tony Stark. And I bought into him and I fell in love with him, as did the rest of America. So oh, yeah. that was my favorite scene in Iron Man 1. Next on our agenda is what would we have done differently in this movie? Um, Glenn, is there anything? There's not a certain set number. It's just anything that you, from the get go or now, with hindsight, it's a little bit different. However, in the in the moment, was there anything that you would have done differently? And is there anything you would have done differently now? Um, I would have liked to have seen uh, a little bit more of. Uh, Tony and Happy uh, yeah, together. Okay. Uh, their banter throughout the film was really good, but I would have liked to have seen more of that uh, uh, camaraderie. Uh, you know, in in later films, it seems like their relationship has gotten better, but uh, I really would have liked to have seen more more interaction between Tony and Happy. Um, my, I think my biggest complaint about the movie is um, I, with this movie, you had two different types of villains. You had the warmongers who all they wanted are Stark Enterprise weapons, Stark Industry weapons, and they, I mean they just want to start wars and fights. Yeah. And then we see the actual evil Iron Man, the warmonger himself yeah. uh, with Obadiah Stane. Um, I would have liked to have seen more of that. I didn't think we get we got enough of Obadiah in the movie. Um, I would as have liked a, a little guy. bit more. Yeah, as a bad guy, uh, I would have liked a little bit more with him. Uh, but honestly, those two things are really, and I agree with you. I, I think Terrence Howard being cast 
uh, in the movie was the only poor choice of casting for the film. Um, I've never liked him in hardly anything. Um, not saying that he's a bad dude. I just, to me, he's just not a good actor. He's Thank God they got. Oh yeah, most definitely. Thank God that they got John Don Cheadle to come in. Because I, and honestly, I think Don Cheadle added something uh, to the character of War Machine and Rhodey. Um, there was a more comedic banter between uh, RDJ and Don Cheadle than between him and Terrence Howard. Um, you just felt that camaraderie, and they clicked better on screen than Terrence Howard and RDJ did. But yeah, those those couple of things are really the only thing that I would have changed. I want more villain. Yeah. And I, you know, just the, the story between happy and Tony, uh, that friendship. I mean, yeah, he's his driver, quote unquote security man, but through the whole movie, they're taking jab jabs at each other. Now, yeah. granted, John Farvo had a big role to play in directing the film. So, I mean, he probably decided to cut some stuff if they even did, but, um, I just would have liked to have seen that a little bit more, uh, that friendship kind of flush out because I, I don't know. It just it puts Tony more as a, it, you get to see more of his uh, softer side than opposed to what we get to see happen as the movie progresses. Yeah. Um, I have a couple, only like two things that I would have done differently. I wouldn't have killed off Obadiah Stane, which actually there's an alternate scene they did where they didn't. Um, and uh, th- then I wouldn't have ever cast Terrence Howard. I thought Don Cheadle would have been my choice from the beginning. Uh, I'm a huge fan of his. Uh, I dare, dare Terrence Howard to ever pull up enough acting ability. Not saying he's not a great actor, but he's not on par with Don Cheadle. Uh, to try to do Hotel Rwanda and Rain Over Me and some of those great dramas that he had that I loved him from. And the fact that Don Cheadle's funnier. Um, and he on set, apparently he's not a dick like Terrence Howard, so that's good. Um, so good for Don Cheadle for, for getting that role and improving the Iron Man series. I'm just sorry your debut is Iron Man 2 of all movies, but it's fine. It's fine. Sometimes you gotta run before you can walk. And now we get into the, the nitty gritty of why we're really doing this podcast and th- doing this challenge, the, uh, Road to Infinity Challenge. Um, how does this movie connect to the MCU and build towards Infinity War? Um, this is meant to be just little observations here and there, things that could be called back later or have been called upon or our callbacks just whatever of course this is the first movie so this won't be calling back to anything a lot of things in here that we mentioned build up to something or get called back later on uh glenn did you write down any notes for how it connects to the mcu or build towards infinity war any yeah. little things you noticed yeah, uh, if we didn't have this movie iron man i don't think we would have ever had the avengers so i think the birth of the avengers starts right here yeah. Um, uh, of course, the big key to that is uh, Nick Fury's uh, post-credit scene. Yep. Um, w- without without Iron Man, we don't get to Avengers. I, I think that uh, the the formula that they set up for this movie on how we get to see the human side of of these heroes and not just the superhuman side of them, the superhero side of them. Um, it's a theme that runs throughout all the movies. Tony has his issues. Steve Rogers has his issues. You've got Banner. He's got his issues. Thor has his issues with family and, and, and such. You've got Ant-Man who's got 
You know, the, all of these, they have all these personal demons that grip them and pull them apart, yet they're able to overcome that and become the hero that we need and the hero that they, they themselves know inside that they can be. So we see the seed planted here in this movie, and it weaves throughout the whole Marvel Universe. Not many people, I mean, now we know, but if you think about it, we've had Vision the whole time. Yep. Um, with with Jarvis, I mean, that that right there, if that's not foreshadowing at its best, I don't know what is. And I never would have guessed they would have done that. But yeah. it makes so much sense. It, it does. You have to sometimes you have to question the long term plans of people because you, you there's so few real long term plans that are stuck with. I have to wonder if they ever truly thought of turning Jarvis into Vision, or if that happened organically along the way because people love Jarvis so much. Um, and the same goes with like Star Wars. Like George Lucas always said, he wrote this many movies. It's like, but did you really? Because why would you have left out this or changed this or done this? Like. Did you really, or just kind of make them up as you went along? Like, I always had to question long-term goals, but that is, it's cool how it worked out, even if it wasn't planned from the very first movie. It, I'm great that they at least did set it up and plan it. Um, my uh, my list is a little bit different. Um, I have some random things in there, like uh, the first Jackson Pollock reference in the Marvel <laughs> Cinematic Universe. Uh, when... Uh, the art auction scene is being talked about with Pepper and Tony Stark, and she's asking about the Jackson, uh, the Jackson Pollock painting. I was like, "Well, that's going to be referenced or called back to later." I wonder if, I wonder if, like that was intentional callback in Guardians of the Galaxy. Who knows? Um, it's, that this movie set up the even the sheer noise of the arc technology that will be seen with Hydra and Captain America: The First Avenger, and in most Shield tech eventually. Um, it also set up, of course, Howard Stark, which would be a huge backstory, especially for Iron Man 2, but Agent Carter and, and the Avengers and Ant-Man and, there's, and, and Winter Soldier, God, is, um, with, uh, with the Civil War storyline. Like, you set up a lot of stuff. The Starks are very important to the MCU, and this is, of course, the beginning of that. Uh, and then my last one was the Ten Rings. Uh, they got yes. seen as a group, not as a Mandarin thing, but as a group. I thought it was a neat... Uh, call to the Mandarin without using the Mandarin, and of course later on in Iron, Iron Man three would would really use the Mandarin, uh, and then really not use the Mandarin. That was really confusing how to describe that movie. Um, but also this movie introduced Coulson, it introduced Shield and Nick Fury, so those are very important keys to all of the Avengers movies going forward. Because Coulson is kind of your guiding light the first phase, and then Nick Fury is kind of trying to drag people together in the second phase. So, yeah, that's pretty great. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And I'm like, you know, like I said earlier, without Iron Man, we don't have the Avengers. We don't have the the MCU. I mean, really, if this movie would have flopped. We wouldn't be having this conversation. Yeah, sorry guys, this was an easy one uh, to point out how this connects to MCU. It starts it all. Sorry guys, uh, the I next mean, one will be more interesting, and then we'll keep as we go forward into it. It'll get more interesting, but obviously, I mean, it's Iron Man. Yeah, exactly, Iron Man. Who would have thought, man? Who would have thought that Iron Man would be the gateway to being able to go and see some of your favorite? superheroes on screen and have them written and performed 
like it should be. Now, yeah. granted, there there have been a couple of movies that Marvel have put out that weren't their stellar best. Uh, some of it could have been done a little, little bit differently, but you know, I never in a thousand years would I have ever dreamed of being able to sit down in a theater and watch Iron Man on the screen. Yeah, I love it. I mean, because until then, all we had was what. Uh, Captain America from 1994 that had fake plastic ears and the lovely Fox version of the Fantastic Four. Welcome home. And our next segment, we'll go over the end credit scene and the Stanley cameo. The Stanley cameo first. The fake Hefner at the benefit. Um, <laughs> Stanley has it was no. There, there's a reason why you guaranteed have a Stanley cameo. It's not from the Marvel movies. It's from the Fox and the Sony movies prior to that. Like he was in the X Men movies. He was in the Spider Man movies. Like he was in there with cameos. He was in the original Hulk movie from Ang Lee. Um, he's had cameos in all these movies, so it was a given that he would have a cameo in this movie, um, which he does. And he plays, he's at a benefit of Stark's, and Stark shows up, and Stark walks past and pats him on the back and says, like, hey, what's up, Pep? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's that's that's pretty awesome. It, it's unfortunate, I mean, now, I mean, Hugh Hefner's dead, so, you know, you watch it now, it's like, well, hopefully it's, he's not Hef, but whatever. Uh, that's his cameo there, and eventually we find out, eventually we get to why he has all these cameos, and I love Love, love what James Gunn did with that. But um, in this movie, the Stanley cameo, he was fake Hefner at a benefit. It was great. I loved it. Um, the end credit scene, we'll go over that in the same segment, was Nick Fury, who had shut down Jarvis, broke into Tony Stark's house, and standing there looking out the window and said, I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger initiative. A um, little bit of background about that scene itself. Uh, they... The way they did it was they had Brian Bendis, Brian Michael Bendis, he wrote three pages of dialogue for that scene. And the people, the very few, very few, like it was a skeleton crew, very few people that were on set chose the lines that they most likely wanted to use in the movie. And they had Samuel Jackson read them. And Samuel Jackson was kind of a shoe in to play Nick Fury because Nick Fury in the uh, Ultimate Universe actually asked him for permission to make Nick Fury look like him, and he's a super nerd, so he's like, hell yeah, I'm a Jedi and the, the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, so th- <laughs> that was always great that they got him to play Nick Fury because I couldn't, I honestly, I don't see Nick Fury being anyone else but uh, um, uh, Samuel Jackson, so I'm really glad they chose him because I really uh, better than David Hasselhoff oh my god let's not even go with that movie Um, uh, I like the way that they were able to bridge together the regular Marvel U with the Ultimates line by using Samuel Jackson in in the MCU because it made a lot more sense it was a lot more fluid and who is not going to let Samuel Jackson be in one of their movies I mean come on man Plus, he's a badass. Once you get exactly. to the scenes where he really gets to show his stuff and Winter Soldier, it's great. Um, but anyway, they filmed this with a camp- with a skeleton crew. There was only one writer involved because they didn't want the rumors to leak out. The rumors le- le- leaked out anyway, just days later. And then the Marvel Studios president, our god, Kevin Feige, 
He removed all of these scenes from all of the print of the movie to make sure no one could guarantee and, and, and confirm that this post-credit scene existed. Then he added them all back once the, game, the movie released. And that was pretty, that was pretty awesome to, to do that because you can't really fight leaks that well. And uh, so why not really keep them guessing? Make them think that their own leaks are wrong and then they won't know what to believe. Yeah. So I, I I loved how Kevin Feige handled it, and that 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 end credit scene started what Marvel does, and that's the end credit scene at the end of every movie. Whether it's a great end credit scene that really leads to more story, or it's Captain America trying to teach you about patience, uh, it's they're all they're all worth it, kind of. Um, but uh, this is this is the beginning of it all, and it really it's it's great that the beginning of this Marvel. Um, I guess you'd say ritual is also the beginning of Marvel itself. As it is, as people view it today, Marvel movies is how people, most people view Marvel. I am Iron Man. And now we get to the end of our show, which is the rating and the ranking, uh, which are two different things. First off, we're going to rate this movie, gold, silver, or bronze, just compared to the movie industry as a whole and how we enjoyed this movie. Um, And then our next will be rating. But... Gold, silver, bronze, Glenn, ranking, or rating, what do you give it? Uh, you know, compared to other movies that came out around that time, uh, compared to movies that's come out recently, uh, I've got to give this a gold star. Um, this particular movie has everything in it. You have a conflicted hero. You have the backstabbing uh, villain who's known you since you were a kid. Uh, there's comedy. There's drama. There's horror. There's the realization that, you know, what am I doing with my life? Am I doing the right thing? Uh, This wasn't just a superhero movie. This was a movie about a man coming to terms with himself on how he does things and how he faces things day to day and coming to the realization that providing weapons isn't helping. It's just causing more mayhem. And there needs to be regulation put on it. And he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to be known as the killer of the world. Uh, he doesn't want the Stark name to be to go down like that. He wants it to mean bigger and better things. Um, I got to give it a gold star. I mean, it's got everything in it. And uh, this movie is a movie that you could put in and enjoy. And it, not a lot of films you can sit there and rewatch. The Marvel movies you can rewatch them. Because they're entertaining. True. And it gives you, you know, I learn something new every time I watch it. Or I'll pick up on something I didn't notice before. And I'll sit there watching a movie with my phone in my hand. And if I notice something on the screen, I'll pull up, you know, Google, pull up IMDb, say, oh, okay. So this is, this person here was in Avengers. Now I, now I know why this person looked familiar because she was in this movie or he was in that movie. And you get to see those loose threads start to braid together and you get that one cohesive uh, storyline and every, everything that happens in a Marvel movie happens for a reason. Yeah. Um, I give this movie a gold ranking. Uh, it was a great origin movie, truly remarkable way to set off a series that would change movies in general forever. If you listen to, uh, if you listen to what's your name that just got done complaining about everything. 
I forget her name from Sons of the Lambs. Sons, yeah, Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster, yes, that's her name. Good. Uh, I was more trying to keep it because I wanted to say something about Robert Engineer kind of getting robbed this year. 2008, he did Iron Man and he did Tropic Thunder, yet he was nominated. Here's the weird thing. He was nominated for Tropic Thunder where he played an Australian man who changed himself to be black to play <laughs> an African-American man in the 60s or no, in the... In, yeah, in the Vietnam War, and um, and that that got him a a golden or an Academy Award nomination, which he he wound up lost. It was for Best Supporting Actor, and he lost to Heath Ledger for the Joker, which I thought that was garbage because the the it's different if you choose Robert Downey Jr. or someone like that for Iron Man if you choose someone for a comic book role, but choosing Heath Ledger, who's dead, and that was a big motivating factor into why he won that Academy Award. Um, doesn't change anything. It doesn't keep that spotlight on this genre. And that's why people like Jodie Foster can keep complaining about this. And there's a lot of directors that complain about superhero movies. It's like, well, they are a big deal and you still don't even have a genre category for them, but you also won't nominate them. So I have a huge problem with Heath Ledger winning for The Joker in The Dark Knight over Robert Downey Jr. winning for Kirk Lazarus. And actually... To quote Robert Downey Jr., he was talking about his nomination, and he said, It's so funny to me that the role is a guy who is an Oscar-seeking moron. His whole motivation is the Oscars. And irony yeah. is synonymous with pretty much everything that is going on. Uh, he, he thought it was funny because he was kind of mocking the Oscars, and then they nominated him. Uh, so uh, I really feel like Robert Downey Jr. could have easily earned something, at least a nod from this movie, and I've felt that way more and more with more and more of these movies that I see. Um, so it's 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 a real pain to to watch this not get the credit it deserves. At least in the in the you know, nerd or common fan base, uh this gets what it deserves, but eventually the movie industry is gonna have to acknowledge that superhero movies are a big deal. They are what keep people going to the movie theaters and it's what keeps them award shows. Uh yeah. Because people go to the movie theaters, and people will stop going to the movie theaters, and a lot of these Academy Award-type movies can just get streamed. But because people are still in the habit of going to the movies because of movies like Iron Man, then they're going to keep going to see your movies that really should just be streamed in the first place. Yep. (laughs) Now, I give it a gold, you give it a gold. Now we're going to rate this movie out of 18, because as of Black Panther, right before Infinity War, there will be 18 movies that are out. And I, I came up with like a top, uh, I have my list together, however it's really, it's flexible, because my first six need to be really set, and then Black Panther will be out, my first six or seven, um, need to be really set, then Black Panther will be out, and I can't change it. So I have these that are kind of pliable, uh, they can be changed a little bit, but ultimately I feel like Black Panther will be kept out of a certain um, certain grouping. So that's unfortunate. But we're still going to write this out of 18. Or 17, if it matters to, to some people. Glenn, out of 18 movies that Marvel has released in this huge wave, how do you rate this one? Of all the stuff that we have ranked on the different podcasts that we have done, this is, honest to God, the hardest ranking that I have ever had to make because there are oh, so no many doubt. good movies. Um, honestly, with with it being the start of it all and um, the front runner 
of the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe, Iron Man is my number one. Number one 18. total? Out of 18 total. What? Yes, and it was hard for me because there was – it's a close, 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 close with Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> Because I absolutely loved Thor Ragnarok. Thor Ragnarok is probably my. F- See, that's the. You, I got to stay true to Iron Man because without this movie, I'm without, marking it. I'm, I'm writing it down. You can't change it. Without this movie, without um, Robert Downey Jr. and John Favreau, with if this hadn't happened, we wouldn't have Thor Ragnarok. So. In my mind, and, and the way that I feel about this movie, and the fact that this franchise has lasted ten years—ten years—Iron Man still stands strong as not just a really good Marvel movie, a really good superhero movie, but it's a great movie. It's got—it's it's my number one. Wow! Oh my God! Um, well. No disrespect to Coogler and his Black Panther movie that'll be coming out, and I, and I love everything about it. I think it's got the greatest cast that that's that's available, uh, really. That's that's in any Marvel movie that's not a team up. Uh, I'm going to go with Iron Man as my number five out of eighteen. So, oh man, hopefully Black Panther doesn't edge his way into the top five. And every week I'm going to be going through it. And we're going to be going through it, and we're going to see how this is going to rank. I really feel like, ultimately, Black Panther is going to be left at the bottom just because of the timing of when it comes out and when we had to start this podcast. Um, if we have to revise something, we will revise it. Um, but, number five, Iron Man, my fifth best movie. And it, there are some top-notch movies that rank above it. It's extremely, extremely, extremely top-notch. So this is really hard because I really there's only a few that I knew would be towards the bottom, right? So um, and and these movies have only gotten better with time. So it, when I first was making my list and I was just going off, you know, just immediate reactions, it was kind of like, well, the newer ones are up at the top, and I'm like, is that because I just seen them more recently? And I and as I, I go through and look at them, I'm like, no, okay, this is this, this is this, this is this, okay, cool. Um, so. Number five, Iron Man. Glenn put Iron Man as his number one Marvel movie. Everyone remember that. Everyone remember that. But on that note, we end this podcast. Our first week is done, son. We are done with the first episode of The Road to Infinity. And hopefully, hopefully, they get better uh, hopefully we get more and we can find more background on some of these things. We hope to tr- kind of educate on the background of the movies a little bit, go over them, refresh people. For those of you that don't have time to rewatch these movies, hopefully you can listen to this and kind of get a, a sense of what happened in the movie, even though it's not a full breakdown uh, act by act of what happened in the movie. Thank you for listening. We also have other podcasts you can listen to, including a gaming power-up hour. Uh, we also have the Chillin' with Netflix series where we review random things on Netflix. I believe next we'll be doing The Punisher or Bright, one of the two. Um, yeah. uh, and also we have our wrestling reviews where we do State of the Strap, State of the WWE, whatever you want to say, where we look at the state of what's going on in professional wrestling. We also have the Smart Marks reviews where we review WWE pay-per-views. And um, we 
have our YouTube channel. You can find us on all social media at Take the Studios on YouTube.com slash Take the Studios. You can find our gaming videos for charity. And you can also subscribe to us, share us, like us, whatever, follow us on Twitter. Individually on social media, I am SYCO1316. I am at JokerHaHaHa79. Thank you for listening. Please be sure to share us, rate us, subscribe, whatever. And we will see you next week.